This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. One-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! And everything from the state of hockey. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Number 57 of the Huskies Warming House podcast. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host and Nick Maxson. Uh, Nick, today is the day that is, it's part of the job. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those days that you don't want to be part of the job, unfortunately. But at the same time, there's a lot of really great things to reflect on here from St. Cloud State and their Frozen Four appearance here, making it to the first national championship game in school history. We're going to dissect all of that uh, pretty much throughout the entire portion of the show. We will still have the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, a uh, pretty abbreviated section for about maybe three or four minutes, just to kind of wrap you up on what we've missed for the past two weeks as far as storylines are concerned. A quick housekeeping thing to kind of note here before I bring you into the show, Nick. Uh, we will have Dave Starman coming to record with us tomorrow night. I'm going to anticipate uh, that interview. It'll be pretty short, about half an hour. We might release that a little bit later in the week. And that is because uh, we're not going to be here next week. I'm working a tournament for hockey um, here in Minot. And we're just going to take a week off in general as it is, uh, just with the timing with the end of the season. So um, we want to make sure we're giving listeners some content. Uh, and that's kind of the reason for the scheduling um, that we're going to have this week. With that being said, Nick, welcoming you into the show uh, in a very groggy state. I should say very groggy, but um, I mean, let's be real. You had a quick, very quick turnaround. Uh, can you give listeners kind of an inkling of, uh, you know, your schedule, kind of, you know, where you've been over the past maybe 12 hours? And uh, how was Pittsburgh, man? Uh, first of all, the hell if I knew where the hell I am right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, it was a quick turnaround. Um, you know, game got over, um, you know, 930, 10 o'clock. Uh, it was pouring rain. Uh, so leaving PPG Paints Arena um, in a full suit and carrying a camera bag, a tripod, and my laptop bag, it, it was like Not just fun. salt. It was just salt in the wound, honestly, <laughs> yeah. at that point. Um, but then quick turn, like you mentioned, I uh, got back to the hotel, uh, got things together. And by the time I did that, it was about midnight. My wake-up call was 4 o'clock in the morning. And I think there's just some general anxiety because I am working this evening uh, that I didn't want to miss my flight. And so I didn't really sleep per say um so got to the pittsburgh airport at 4 45 a.m uh by connection out of uh, chicago midway and now back here in minneapolis and uh thank goodness that i was able to finally for those who follow me on twitter the caribou coffee that's in the humphrey terminal terminal 2 was not open oh no so it was not good but there's plenty of other locations so we got it um <laughs> but you know all, overall i mean fantastic tournament um, you know, the city of Pittsburgh at their hosts were, were fantastic from the arena staff to the hotel, uh, you know, people, and obviously a, a lot of fans, uh, I mean, you know, meeting some other people out there as well. It just made the whole experience incredibly enjoyable, um, despite what we we're going to dissect in a little bit, despite the outcome of last night's game. 
Yeah, we're going to jump. We're going to kind of jump in and kind of the peel the bandaid off pretty quickly here and talk about uh, that championship game right away here, because there are some points that they do need to be made. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we would be remiss, uh, I think, if we didn't dissect the last hockey game uh, for St. Cloud State in quite a while until we come back in the fall here, provided they still let us on the airwaves. I, one of the questions I got from one of my buddies, uh, you know, because it was, it was a game that, you know, unfortunately kind of, you know, really kind of took off at the tail end of that second period there. Uh, I got to ask a pretty interesting question, Nick. And it was a simple question. Uh, did you cry? Um, I didn't cry uh, when they scored that power play goal in the fourth one in the tail end of the second, I teared up a little bit. I, um, I'm not normally an emotional guy for as soft as I am. Uh, but that one, that was just one of those where you just kind of knew. Um, and to put some salt in the wound for those who are watching the YouTube channel, this Frozen Four shirt that I got from the university, uh, it showed up 10 minutes after the game. <laughs> so that was a little bit more salt in the wound too. Um, I still got some Frozen Four apparel coming. I'm excited for that. So, you know, Nick, I, to, to reflect just a little bit before we jump into the actual game, uh, obviously pretty bummed, right? I, I know you and I both kind of talked about this. We're pretty, obviously pretty bummed at the result. Uh, you know, but I kind of took a late night drive and, you know, tried to clear my head a little bit. Cause I mean, it's, it's one thing when you and I, you know, we've been invested with this group for, you know, 15 months here and, you know, kind of tried to follow them through and, uh, you know, just taking stock of where we are, uh, you know, from just going back and looking back in July to just having a season, you know, to just getting a chance to talk to these players, never, never in our wildest dreams did we think that we get to cover a frozen four, yet alone a national championship game. So, so many strides to, you know, to really look back on it. We'll touch on that as well, but uh, you know, moving into the game and that's where I was <laughs> trying to go with this here. The, the one thing that I think you and I would really like to point out here is that a lot of people um, kind of have this inkling that the Huskies didn't show up, didn't play for 60 minutes. You know, in the middle half of the game, uh, the Huskies lost their mojo. They lost their jump. There's no doubt about that. The Huskies showed up to play yesterday. I think that's one thing that we really want to touch on here. St. Cloud State, uh, you know, if you want to pick a, a worse time for the hockey guys to stop smiling on this university, that was last night in the first period. I uh, Obviously, Vietti Mantin hit the crossbar there. Uh, you know, a really tough bounce on the first goal. Those things happen. Two defensemen running into each other. And David Rennick is still almost actually made that save, you know, even if you kind of knew it was coming there. I, I don't want to lay a lot of stock into, into the officiating, but there's two moments that I kind of want to point out that I think are actually three that are kind of important here. And again, the officiating did not make that hockey game. I don't want to take anything away from UMass. They're a hell of a program, very, very well coached and very well deserving uh, of their national championship. I just want to say if St. Cloud plays that team 10 more times, it's a one or two goal hockey game, all 10 of those times. It is not a five, nothing hockey game. And, and so going back through the game, Nick, the three moments in the game that I thought officiating really kind of made a difference here. Number one, the Huskies are on the power play with about 40 seconds left on their power play. And uh, whoever it was for UMass, I can't remember who it was, grabbed the puck and threw the puck down the ice, you know, and it's just, would it have made a difference? I don't know. The Huskies power play looked a little tough last night, uh, but a five on three is a five on three. Let's be real. And the Huskies were really generating. They were really pressing uh, and they were the better team in the first period. Uh, and it's really weird. Uh, you know, difficult to go through those momentum shifts when you're the better team in the first period. And all of a sudden you look around and you're down two to nothing. That second goal, Nick, um, that's the one that I thought was a real backbreaker, even though it was only the first period, because when you miss an offside call like that in that big of stage, when the Huskies, 
they responded okay after that first goal. And then you get that dagger with about a minute 20 left in the, at the tail end of the first period. That's another huge momentum shift. And then, you know, the Huskies try to claw their way back in the second really nice move by the UMass player to make it three to nothing. And the Huskies, that's kind of where they really have to start to press. And that too many men call was a little bit weak for me. And obviously UMass very capitalized on that one. So Nick, I kind of want to get your perspective on the game here. I think, like I said, I just want to talk to Huskies fans and just say St. Cloud showed up to play yesterday, but they looked really poor at the tail end of the game simply because those momentum shifts in that first half of the game were so huge that it was so difficult to mentally recover from them. And you know what? When UMass finally found their legs at the tail end of the second period, the train was rolling and it, and it just never stopped. So, uh, First of all, uh, we'll start from the beginning, right? Uh, St. Cloud not only was controlling the puck in the offensive zone, they were winning the board battles. And there was you know, sort of that one area that UMass was slated to be the better team was on the, was on the wall. Mm -hmm. And I really thought that St. Cloud took that to them in the first eight minutes. And um, as I was tweeting yesterday and, you know, obviously thank you to the fans that are following, um, I had mentioned towards the end of the game that, you know, what if Mietnan shot just one inch further down and that puck goes in, Um, you know, what does that do to the momentum of that hockey game? Um, And, you know, as players, Noah, and, you know, when you see those two defensemen collide and you, you give up a two on O, you know, there's given up a goal and there's given up that type of goal, right? It just, sometimes those kinds of goofy bounces, especially early, you know, you don't want to say that, you know, you're, you're looking at a crystal ball, but it, it sometimes provides you a little bit of an insight into maybe where those bounces are going to go. And it just kind of felt like the Huskies were going to be on the short end of the stick. And we end up seeing that, right? I just don't think that the Huskies after that really were able to settle back down and settle into their game. I just never really saw it offensively. Um, and like you said, what's credit UMass? Um, the two four checkers, I guess RD gave us nightmares all, all, all night. And, you know, we, I made it a point too that the defensemen, you said urgency. I said, they've got to make smart plays uh, to me. UMass was taking away that one break all pass. They had the other side and instead of skating out, they wanted to stretch it. And I get it. You know, one of the ways you can counteract a four check like that, especially is that they were pressing I know what the, the flying fin line, they were pressing all three forwards at the red line um, from up in the press box. So they were really just trying to back them off. The problem was that the defensemen weren't taking the ice in front of them. That was there. It's like, if there wasn't a pat, we'll skate it. Right. Um, so there were a couple of, I suppose you could say just things that they just probably weren't really used to stylistically. And uh, that on a, the inability for them to break out cleanly, to use that transition game and their speed, um, I think was really what hemmed the St. Cloud State Huskies from really getting anything going after that. And then, as you mentioned, officiating, you know, we'll call it, you know, no officiating crew is ever going to be perfect. We know that. Um, but again, UMass, I mean, that's a hell of a hockey team and they absolutely deserve to win that game. Um, but I also want to make one other point, because you brought it up too, for, for Huskies fans. This program took a step forward this weekend. This is a absolutely devastating loss, but let's go back again, like you said, to the summertime and even to December when we were thinking, where was this team really going to realistically be, right? We thought third, fourth team, they may become a bubble team. Do we see, do we see them as a deep playoff contender? At that point, probably not. And to just be coming back from downtown Pittsburgh after a, a heartbreaking loss in the national championship game, there is nothing 
to hold your head down about this hockey team. There just isn't. Um, and I know that at least from my perspective, Noah, what, what stings more is that, you know, and I wrote about this too, is that, you know, if the Huskies lose three, two in overtime, yeah. I'm, I don't think, I think it's different. Honestly, I think it's the fact that it was such a lopsided win on the score sheet. Now I think you and I would agree that it wasn't, quite as widespread as a score would indicate. Um, But again, you know, there's a lot of fans that just look at that surface five, nothing. And they say we weren't even in the game. And to a point, yeah, it was a tough climb, but to me, I feel like what set up that score was a lot of Huskies shooting themselves in the foot on occasions and UMass taking advantage of it. Yeah. You know, I, and I think the thing, and I, I tweeted this yesterday too, is that, you know, all the guys in the studio and all the big Hockey East boys, there's nothing wrong with Hockey East, but they feel vindicated, right? They feel vindicated that a, that a UMass team, you know, a Massachusetts team won in this sort of thing. And again, congratulations to Massachusetts. UMass, I think on paper, UMass was the better team. And the Huskies needed to come out and really kind of earn a bounce there. Uh, one thing that this game actually reminded me of, do you remember game seven of the, I believe it was the 2019 Stanley Cup final, Blues versus Boston in TD Garden? right and the blues yep. come away it was i think it was two to nothing after the first because they buried with like 27 Correct. seconds left this game was almost a spitting image of that first period because if you remember boston speaking of massachusetts teams was all over st louis through the first 15 minutes of that period and they could not buy a goal and then all of a sudden st louis came back and popped a couple right away in that period and then the train just really started rolling and st louis never looked back that's kind of what this reminded me of is that umass just survived the first 10 minutes got their legs under them and was able to kind of get to their style and had a couple of bounces you know to go along with that the other thing is this you know even if it's you know a two or three year old game if we replay this night any other night st Cloud state scores this is, um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was the only time this year that St. Cloud was shut out uh, because they were down two to nothing against Western in the pod and scored with 27 seconds left with Nick Perbix. So um, correct, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't pulled up the schedule because I've been a little, a little depressed about it. But, you know, St. Cloud State in three out of their four NCAA games scored 15 goals, right? Their, their goals for yeah. average entering that game was five in the tournament. It's like... You know, the offense just couldn't find a way. Um, everyone talks about, you know, Philip Lindbergh, Minnesota Wild draft pick for UMass had a great game. Um, I don't know that he was as lights out as people want to make him to be simply because the Huskies just didn't get a chance to threaten a little bit. Huskies were shut out first time against Omaha in the pod. Oh, that's right. That's, nothing. What, that's who it was. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, that, I, I was thought, the, that was the only other time I believe. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was one of those games. It wasn't it like, it, it, do you have the score sheet in front of you by chance? If you can pull it up. I, yeah, I can pull it up. Was it, was it a clean to nothing game or like a one to nothing game? Cause I, I think that makes a difference where it's like, um, I believe it was a clean two nothing because I remember calling that for KBSC and yep it was clean two nothing. It right, was okay. a one goal in the first, one goal in the second. Right, exactly. What I meant by that, by for those who are wondering, a clean two nothing versus a one to nothing game with an empty net where it is a, a one shot contest. But um, yeah, like you mentioned for this program, Saint Cloud State, you know, leaps and bounds forwards from from being an unranked team to you know coming to this point and you, you know doing so many things for this university that have never been done before. And again, we've talked about it so much. This group really relished that underdog role. And I think that a moment that really stuck out for me last night was before that fourth goal, that too many men on the ice call when the official comes over 
and talks to Brett Larson and kudos to Brett Larson, you know, what he's done with this program, but, you know, just his ability to, you know, stay calm and compose in that moment, that too many men call that was a little bit weak. The official comes over and says, this is what I saw. And Brett just said, okay. And he turned around and you just knew, you just knew with the body language. And this is, this is like, not a, not a criticism of Brett. You could just see with the body language that you just knew it wasn't St. Cloud state's night. There's just some games that you look and you just say, it's just not our night. We're just not going to get those bounces. Sometimes they happen in game one of the regular season. Sometimes they happen in game 31 in the national championship game. Right. Um, so, but, you know, talking about this program, talking about this group, so many great storylines, so many players that, you know, really grew and developed throughout the season. I, I one of my favorite storylines, and I think just because by nature of the position, he gets so much criticism, uh, even from us at times uh, and knowing what he's capable of is that, you know, David Rennick, in the last month and a half of the season turned out to be the goaltender that we were expecting and more, you know, he was, um, you know, he had maybe one tough goal, I think yesterday, but uh, other than that, he was really rock solid. I think the last goal I remember that was really tough from him was probably the CC goal in the opener of the NCHC playoffs. So um, Nick, I mean, who are the guys that really you thought, uh, you know, stuck out to you? I think Nolan Walker would be another guy that we really hoped would, jump and boy i don't know if he jumped or if he scaled a mountain this year but i what a finish to the season he had uh he let a rocket essentially is what he did uh <laughs> nolan walker um and he was named as uh, one of the most outstanding forwards of the tournament by chance uh was nolan walker um to me he was probably the most improved player on this roster without a question um and it's you know it, it's funny when you look at, especially from the response of his sophomore year, right? His sophomore year, it was not a great season for him numbers-wise. Um, and, you know, you can do the two, two things. You can either, you know, you can sit there and you and you can relish in it or you can use it as motivation. And for Nolan Walker, holy buckets, did he ever turn it around? And, you know, what an opportunity for a senior season if he returns, right? So now we're in the offseason. That's going to be a conversation I think we – have it at a later time there, Noah, but uh, I think Noah Walker for me, uh, Nick Perbix for the most part to me was also a player I thought really just because of who he was paired with and Seamus Donahue, he really was able to find that offensive side of his game that, you know, he really wasn't able to really shine with because he was paired with a Jack Sean for, you know, the first couple of years of his career. And so allowing him to be able to, to step into that role and to really, you know, be that two-way defenseman that he always wanted to be, I think was big. Um, so those two players, at least in itself, stuck out for me, um, at least on that. But I think also Yami Kranela, Zach Okabe, yeah. especially later on, I think Zach Okabe is one of the few bright spots uh, from last game. And you, you can you can see that Zach Okabe is starting to feel some swagger in his game um, because he's attacking. He's attacking with speed and uh, he's got a hell of a shot too. And so um, those are the four names. And, and granted, I feel bad because, you know, you, you could say a really good story about a lot of players on the squad and I don't want to leave anybody off the score sheet, but you know, as far as most improved or, or most growth in the players, those are the four that I feel like at least in my mind stick out to me. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the storylines that I really liked and especially kind of by nature in the regional, we see this a lot in the Stanley cup playoffs over the course of eight weeks, as well as, you know, your stars, you know, you, you hope that they're going to show up. You kind of, you wait and see, but the bottom six guys are the guys that really kind of make a difference as far as this is concerned here. So, you know, guys like your Will Hammers, which I know ESPN touched on them quite a bit, but Will Hammers, Kyler Kupka, Joey Molinar jumping into the lineup and having one heck of a tournament, you know, guys like that, that I just, 
there's something to be said for players that are willing to play the role that they're in on that specific night, right? You know, if you move Will Hammer up to the first line or you move Will Hammer down to the fourth line, he knows what's expected of him and he's going to play that game. And I think that this group does such a good job of, you know, not that there, not that there are any egos on the team, but just really relishing in their identity of saying, yeah, I might only play eight minutes tonight, but those eight minutes are going to be hard minutes. And whoever the heck is the defenseman on the opposite side, they're going to get hit every time they go for a puck down in the corner. And I, and just the, that growth mindset that this group has had, um, I think it was just really enlightening to, to see how far they've come. And like you mentioned, Nick, we predicted them to finish fourth, maybe third in the NCHC this year. And maybe, maybe dark horse their way through the NCHC playoffs into making the tournament. We actually didn't pick them to come out of the field of 16. And if we did, we said they were going to be on the very back end as maybe the team like Omaha, who was the last team to jump into the tournament there so like you mentioned to be in a national championship game we did the math right this program's been around for 92 years over 34,000 days and this is the first time they played in a national championship game uh, in division one or division three history I mean what a moment this has been for this group and in some ways in some ways the loss means that there's another St. Cloud State group in the future out there that has a bar that's even higher, that has another chance to continue to climb that ladder, if you will, and get up to the next rung there. Um, Nick, I, yeah, I'm glad ahead. you mentioned that, no, because I, I don't, I, I don't want to cut you off, but uh, after that game, uh, former Husky, we had the opportunity to interview Brett Hedekin made a very, very solid point, which is, you know, sometimes and UMass is actually the, the pinnacle of what he said. He goes, sometimes you have to go and lose a game of that to know how to win it. And I think, you know, honestly, at this point, you know, you have to look at it as a growth opportunity. And it's like, okay, and I think almost a five nothing one is going to be just extra, you know, fuel for the fire for the, the guys that are returning. Honestly, um, obviously, bounces here and there. We've already touched on the game, but inside of a player, there's always that part of you that says, what, could, you know, I could have done more. There's always an internal fire too, right? You better darn well know that not only for this group, but for the players that will be returning next season, um, that's going to be right here. And that's going to be driving them to get back to that same game and even more so uh, try to do a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit better performance and try to take home hardware next year. So it's a good thing, right? And again, it's, it's a big moment. Uh, I don't think in my personal opinion that the Huskies were really ever affected by the big stage in this. Um, to me, it was just, again, just a, uh, you know, you could call it a comedy of dominoes that just didn't fall their way. Again, the hockey gods, they gave the bounces to UMass last night and just it was not the Huskies' time just yet. So let's talk about, actually, you want a perfect template for a team that, you know, makes their first NCAA tournament, makes their first NCAA championship game, doesn't have the result they're looking for in the championship game, turns around and wins a national championship. Uh, hey, Nick, which team would fit the bill and fit the mold? I uh, and that would be a team that we actually saw last night in UMass, right? National championship game a couple of years exactly. ago against Duluth. They've been through this heartbreak. Their program has been through that. They were, you know, where St. Cloud State was last night. They were there, I believe it was two years ago, uh, you know, off of the, the second yep. national championship in a row for Duluth. Um, the very last one, actually, you know, they've appeared, I think, in back-to-back -back ones, if I'm not mistaken. I could have that wrong, and I haven't, haven't looked. But, I mean, in a recent national championship game and coming back and finding a way to revise the template, finding a way to tweak it and getting back to this moment, 
I think the question is, and it's obviously very premature the day after here, but when they go back to the drawing board, Brett Larson and his coaching staff will say, how can we get these boys back to this moment? How do we get back to this hockey game? That's the big question here is, you know, you look around at teams that arguably were better on paper, right? North Dakota, really glad that they were out when they were out. They were a deadly hockey team. Let's, let's be honest here. You know, we've seen very good teams falter and the falter in these one and dones. How do you keep the mental and physical, you know, emotion and responsibility in check to get through three games in the NCAAs to get to that point? And how do you put a season together before that to get there? Um, you know, and I think that they've got a great template to start with this year and realizing that it doesn't have to be the most skilled group in history, but it has to be a tight knit group and a group that's willing to grow and learn like this group did this year. So Nick, I kind of wanted to ask you that, what are some of the storylines or some of the highlight points from this St. Cloud State group that you saw over the course of the year that got them to this moment? Because I think as excited as we were for Huskies hockey, if you looked at this group, like you mentioned on day one, they were not this group that was going to be here. They were molded into the group that was going to be here. So what did you see, um, you know, as far as the hand shaping the clay that allowed this to happen? Sure. Um, I think the first one that struck me was the 4-3 overtime win against Colorado College in the pod. Uh, you're down 3 nothing. You, uh, you, you, can, you can say they came out a little bit slow um, against CC, maybe slightly overlooking them just because they're fresh off of, you know, uh, and not being in uh, the pod originally as they were scheduled. And um, they find a way to bounce back. And, and to me, that was the big storyline with this group is that they found, they just seemed to find a way to battle through all that adversity. Again, down a goal, we mentioned this last show against BC and BU, and then um, having to come back again in the third period against the Mankato, right? It just didn't seem like this group really just ever took those types of moments and just let it get through their head. So to me, that was the big, and we talked about it last week again, the mental resiliency of this group was to me, what got them to where they were. Now, are they missing a couple of things? Sure. Um, did it not help? Certainly that their, you know, number one goal scorer, Easton Brodzinski was out with an injury. Of course not. Um, and again, that's going to be a big, what if, um, you know, what would have been different if he was in the lineup? We don't know. And at the end of it, it doesn't matter, right? It's just, you have to work with what you got. But I mean, think about this. This team was without their leading goal scorer in the national semis, still won four to one. There were players that stepped up. You talked about Molnar, type of Will Hammer, you know, pocketing a goal in the semifinals. Uh, Kyler Kupka. Uh, this team just found the depth at times they needed it. It just seems like they didn't have any cards left in the stack come the national championship time. But when the cards do return next year, Noah, um, that's going to be a game they want to get back to. And you darn know that the, the mentality and that, that game shape, that competitiveness is going to be there for it. So, yeah. And you look at the, the UMass team that beat them, they were in the same situation, right? The semifinal game of the frozen four, they were without four bodies. Right. So, I mean, it's um, obviously one of them yeah. was a backup goaltender, but nonetheless, uh, you know, they found a way to respond and get the job done against uh, a team that was trying to repeat and held the, held the national tournament title for like over a thousand days, <laughs> you know, up until that point. So um, it, it's just when I sat back, you know, went for a late night drive last night, I was watching some old time movies. I first watched major league because I needed a little bit of a laugh. I needed something to kind of pick me up a little bit. It's a good movie. Yeah. And then I was kind of, um, I actually watched uh, last night. I don't know if anyone's seen, uh, this is an old school movie, but have you ever seen the movie 12 angry men from 1957? You ever seen that one? 
I gotta repeat it again there. Which one? I'm sorry. Uh, Twelve Angry Men. Yeah. 1957. Yeah. Have you ever seen yes. that movie? Yes. Yes. That's one heck. It's a great of, movie. That's one heck of a yes. flick. I was watching some old school films. I was watching a couple old westerns as well, just to kind of take my mind off of it. And I know it sounds simple, but I just kind of went to myself. All this fuss over a three-inch rubber disc and a little bit of frozen water, right? You know, sometimes just taking stock and sitting back and thinking about. You know, like you mentioned, there might be some guys that are leaving. That could be, for example, that could be Kevin Fitzgerald's last game. There's a guy that we talked about that, you know, might be done or, you know, maybe he has the chance to come back. I thought, you know, I thought he was a factor in last night's game as well. You know, kind of, you know, trying to get the boys sparked and that sort of thing. And I, I really like the season he had. And, you know, I think that's the hardest part of this is knowing that, you know, if a guy like Kevin doesn't come back, it's, you know, I don't you know, it's fun to watch him play, but I, what I'm not going to miss, I'm not going to miss what Kevin did on the ice. I'm going to miss who Kevin Fitzgerald was as the person, you know, I'm going to miss what he brought to the rink every night. I'm going to miss what he brought as far as, you know, his energy level with the boys. And, you know, when we got to see him in media, it's stuff like that, that makes this so difficult is that, you know, that for some of these guys, this is the end of the line. And, and, you know, for this group and speaking of a guy like Kevin Fitzgerald and some of these older seniors, to go through two and a half years ago, arguably the lowest point in St. Cloud hockey history as far as expectations to results and get to arguably the pinnacle right now of St. Cloud State hockey for expectation to results. I, I, I mean, what more can you say about this group? And someone, someone kind of commented about the post-game pressers and having the losing team that does the post-game pressers, uh, you know, and they can be kind of difficult to watch, but I think they're so important because you just realize, you just realize, you know, the human aspect that goes behind this. It's so easy for us, you know, we're so privileged to cover this, this sport, but it's so easy sometimes for us to dissect the X's and O's that at the end of the day, it's just so important for us to step back and say, you know, these are just kids. They're kids, you know, that are my age, you know, wearing, wearing the sweaters and stuff. And, you know, I'm, I just, I couldn't be more proud of this group. And it's, it's almost difficult to put into words because I don't want to, I don't want to be all sappy with it, but at the same time, I want to give them their credit and, and their due. So Nick, if you kind of had to, you know, kind of talk about this group and what they meant to this program and what they meant to our show, for sure for you know giving us this opportunity i mean what would you say to this group as as far as that's concerned well first of all one hell of a season right um you know it, it like you said it's very difficult to really pin the exact words down um but it's one of those where i think you know and and i i think brett larson said it i think i know nick oliver said it when he was with us before this last weekend which is this team was close you could see it, you know, and you always look at championship teams, whether it's the pro level, the semi-pro level. And one concept that always seems to be there is that every player on that roster, whether it's 20 players in a hockey squad or 55 or 56 players on a football roster or however big they are, um, they all are in it together. They're all buying it. They're all working for each other. Um, and they're all destined and, and they're focused on one goal. Right. Um, and to me, that team bought into uh, Brett Larson, they bought into each other and, uh, they trusted each other. You know, they never, um, let the lows get low. They never let the highs get high. And, uh, they just kept putting their foot down and going to work every single day. And if there's one thing I don't think we've really touched on yet is as I should say enough is holy hell, what a coaching staff. Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously, uh, Shyak, 
Um, the addition of him after the, after the departure of, of Mike Gibbons, who had been with the program for so long, uh, but then Nick Oliver, obviously. I mean, this, this coaching staff has this team prepared night in and night out. Um, they do their homework. They know how to get these players to buy in. And if there's probably the biggest bright spot there is, yeah, you lose the game like this, but what does that say about players that are in juniors or maybe uncommitted or high school players that look at this and, you know, you watch this team do what they do and they go, okay, maybe instead of going to those guys or these guys, I want to go play for these guys. And, you know, it's that next wave of talent, right? Is that, you know, and that's part of that next step, right? How do we get over the hump now? It's you're going to have guys come in like Jack Pert, uh, Mr. Hockey Award winner is coming to St. Cloud as a defenseman. Um, you're going to have, I think, Mason Salmquist come in. So you're going to have guys that are looking at this roster and going, holy hell, these guys just came that close to winning a national title. I want to come in prepared. So does it mean that they work out that much harder in the summer? Does that mean they study the X's and O's with the, you know, with the coaching staff? Yeah, damn right it does. And does it kind of thwart what the senior class might decide to do? It's possible, right? So unless the NHL calls, which we know there's going to be NHL play, you know, players getting calls. I know that for a fact. Um, you know, when you're that close, sometimes you just you want to give it one more shot. We saw that with Jimmy Schultz, right? He had every opportunity to leave before the uh, the 2018-19 season, and he decided to give it one more shot. And, you know, we all know what happened there. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And you also get departures, right? We saw Blake Lazat, um, you know, sign with the Kings after that as well. So there's a lot of things that can happen. Uh, but, uh, you know, at the end of it, it's all positive. That's the thing is that this is a positive thing. When you take that next step, you don't always get the results you're looking for. But you're going to learn a lot of things along the way, and you're going to know for the next time you come around to get there, what it took to get there. And number two, now you know probably more than a lot what it takes to finally win that next step. And that's where the Huskies are. They're right on the doorstep um, to being a really, really, really fantastic program and marking history here at St. Cloud. Yeah, and you talk about you know how hard it is to – I love the phrase, right? It sounds like the NHL, how hard it is to win in this league. But in a sense, it is. Let's take a look at the coaching staff, right? A guy like Brett Larson. Brett Larson, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is 2-2 two and two in championship games as far as the NCAA is concerned. Wins in 2011, loses in 17, wins in 18, and then loses obviously last night. And you talk about like hey, Brett Larson – if you if you don't want to play for a guy like Brett Larson, you don't play college hockey. I mean, you will not find a better coach and a guy like Dave Shyak. We mentioned it, uh, you know, in the middle of the game when the Huskies were down three nothing. The last team to claw their way back from a three three goal deficit and win a national title, Dave Shyak, nineteen ninety one, Northern Michigan. Nick Oliver has had that experience in two thousand thirteen, where he talked about it when we had him on last week, learning those lessons about, you know they let the game unfortunately get away from them in the first period of the first game and think about how well prepared this Huskies team was on Thursday and, you know, pushing their way through. And what, a, what an absolutely beautiful tip by Nolan Walker. I still can't believe it. I, you know, and I, it's funny to think about uh, maybe this is kind of an interesting little topic, Nick, do you have like a goal of the year that sticks out for you in your mind? Because Nolan Walker had a four goal night at the Herbrooks national hockey center. He had the most, 
insanely bizarre flip pass I've ever seen to Micah Miller. He had the beautiful redirect. Was there like a goal or a save or a specific play or a handful of things that, you know, um, really kind of stuck out to you? Is there one that's popping to your mind that you kind of said, wow, that was just something, you know, or maybe, maybe, maybe if, it's just, if it's just a moment. That really there's two of them, actually. Uh, number one, the power play marker, Eastern Brodzinski in the pot against North Dakota. That beautiful tic-tac-toe play was pretty gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, but going back to Nolan Walker in that four-goal game where he had the patience to walk around and tuck it back in while he was behind the goal line. Uh, yeah, so basically Nolan Walker has three of the four. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it, and again, we, we complimented him already. As, you know, at least I said, you know, most improved player and, and you know, speaks for itself and you know it was one change to him right and brett larson said i want to be more i want to be more selfish and uh it's funny how sometimes being more selfish means you're contributing more to the team aspect of it because you're actually starting to put up some of the offensive numbers that you're missing the season before yeah um you know actually one of my favorite goals in the year um we're gonna go back a little ways uh goal number one <laughs> of the season I, I i loved kevin fitzgerald's move on that that little forehand backhand chip i always love that move kind of the miko koibu thing on the breakaway there uh, i i like that it just kind of was like one of those things where uh, you know how it is every year especially with huskies hockey it's like what are we going to get what's the product that we're going to expect and kevin fitzgerald three minutes into the game you know boom pots the marker at one nothing and it's like um Maybe that's a good question too, Nick. Is um, as you can tell, this is this is totally off the cuff for us here. Uh, was there a moment, you know, as we talked about this team, you know, even at Christmas time, we didn't know where they were going to end up. Was there a moment where, in your mind, you truly said the switch flipped, and you truly said this team is a national championship contender? Was there ever that moment in your mind, or? did you continue to be convinced as the train went along? I think for myself, you know, you go through, they had a really nice NCHC playoff besides the little five minutes against North Dakota. And it was kind of like, I don't want to say it came out of left field, but it was all the things that we had talked about coming together there, right? You go, you know, two weeks prior, they get blasted up at Amsoil Arena in Duluth. They did not show up for that hockey game. They come back, they have the best start of their season. Still, I would say to, you know, the entire year claw their way, a three, nothing lead against Duluth and then almost self implode in the last 40 minutes and then find a way in OT, which that OT win I thought was a great transition into the NCHE tournament. My turning point was actually the game against Colorado college. When I watched that team put 77 shot attempts up, and it was a 1-1 hockey game and they were down for you know a portion of it as well and they just there was no bend and no break in that group you, we talk about Duluth all the time these veteran teams right that find a way to you know stay calm stay composed you know not look like they're panicking at all i that was the first time all year that i just looked at this group and i was like they are not rattled by this at all like they are not phased you know were they going to be a tournament team at that point even if they lost probably but they just, they stayed so composed against Duluth the next night. They stayed so composed. They learned their lessons from the North Dakota loss. They came out flying in the BU game. They dropped the first goal of the game in that game. Come back in a decisive fashion and a 6-2 win. Next night, uh, really poor start against BC, dropping the first goal in that game, right? Easton Brzezinski gets hurt and all of a sudden the switch flips again. Mankato, they jump out to a great lead in that game almost kind of have that little bit of adversity that pushes them back. 
and found a way to claw through it. And I thought that CC game was just not, not really a physical turning point, but a mental turning point where I don't know if I said they could win a national championship, but that was where I said, this team has this sneaky dark horse potential to shock a lot of people in this tournament. If they continue to play the way that they, that they, that they are. Um, yeah, I, I'll take that. The, I, to me, getting blasted by, by Minnesota actually to me is what started the train. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about last season. That was, you know, when it was Colorado college again, if I'm not mistaken, swept them in their own building and it wasn't even close. Yep. And, you know, it, it's one of those where there's a turning point, right? Where you're like, okay. And it, it's different, right? Because last year, you know, different makeup, different team. Um, so, you know, you can't really compare apples to apples there. But for, for this year, up until that point, you know, St. Cloud was playing pretty good hockey. On the flip side of it, though, when you get run out of Amstel Arena like they did, right? And you know that that team probably played the worst game all season at Amstel Arena. And at that point, especially when you're heading into the playoffs, right? Or they're approaching. It's like, we know we can be better. We got to go out and respond, right? And then, as you mentioned, that first 20 minutes, the best, I think, best period of hockey by far we've seen him play. And not not just the first period. Um, But like you said, then it just goes into this, okay, so you, you get the emotions out, right? But it's how you control those emotions when things are going your way, when you're not getting the bounces and, you know, call it a college, see what you want, but they're still a college hockey team. They can still beat people on any given night, especially NCHC. We've seen it all too often. And it's that kind of style that CC played under Mike Havlin, which is you essentially, they, they make you beat yourselves, right? That they, they make you just sort of get frustrated. And then they just sort of take advantage of you just kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Right. And as you pointed out, they didn't do that against the Tigers. They eventually would pull away and win that game, but they didn't really change the way they played. They just kept, you know, kept with the game plan. They didn't start to cheat or try to cut corners on their structure offensively, defensively. And they just kind of just rolled with the punches. Right. And it's that mental stability that you look for in a championship hockey team. And as you point out, that to me is what really, again, carry them forward into a national title game. It's just unfortunate that again, as we sit here, Sunday afternoon after a very, very long day for myself. Um, and I know very emotional junior for a lot of Huskies fans. Um, but, you know, and I'll say this again, there were a couple, I'm not going to mention the names, but a couple of fans that I know were very emotional about the score of last night's game. And again, would you rather lose 10, nothing in the national championship game, or would you rather lose five to four in triple in, overtime in yeah. triple overtime? in the regional against BU. Yeah. And, and that's what's like, yeah, this is still progress. Yeah. The ending wasn't pretty, but you can't just look at the score. It doesn't tell you the whole story. Right. I, I do. I like, I said, you know, if Mietnin's and we're always going to wonder if Mietnin's goal or shot is an inch lower and that goes bar down, you do wonder how that game is different from that point on. And I a hundred percent think it would have been, um, there's no question UMass wasn't going to go away quietly. They never did. They didn't do that against Duluth, but you wonder if St. Cloud would have been able to establish their game that they were actually on already and just continue to let that train roll. Right. Because confidence in athletes is everything. Right. Um, and, and VT, uh, for a guy that, you know, is the most dangerous guy with the puck on the, on his stick for the Huskies, uh, was probably 
didn't have it on a stick enough during those, you know, last two games, especially in that championship game. And there's no question that that shot's going to haunt him. If there's any one player that wants redemption, you know what damn well it's going to be beating Vietnam. Yeah, and he's got a lot of time to make it up, hopefully, in a St. Cloud State sweater here. Um, and, and to your point, Nick, I again, I thought about last night, uh, you know, I thought about why does this hurt so much? You know, why am I so frustrated? And again, it, it I guess if you're going to lose – you know, there's always that what if in a five nothing score, do you feel like you could do something more? But there's also the, the flip side of, do you want to be Michigan in 2011 against Duluth losing in double overtime, right? That one sings even more to know that you're that close, you know, to that point as well. And I, and I thought about it and it's how different do we feel if Mankato pops the fifth marker in that four, four hockey game? Does it feel a little bit different? I think there's just something about a championship game, knowing that through the stretch of a 31 game season, you know, unfortunately the the dominoes didn't fall your way in game number 31 you know it wasn't game 22 where we get to come on the show and say well the boys got to do do this next week or next game there is no next game right this is it um and my last point here nick and if you have anything else to add you know definitely think of it and we'll roll with it there one of the things that was so difficult for me about this not only for st cloud state program history we know the nchc is a good league unless you ask barry melrose um, but, um, and, and it's actually, I'm actually going to go to John Bucciagrass and Barry Melrose. I actually thought, uh, Colby Cohen, I didn't mind his analysis. I know you were at the game, so you really didn't get a chance to listen, but Colby Cohen, I thought, you know, offered some pretty decent tidbits as far as like players and young players to watch things are concerned. I thought he offered some constructive things. Um, and I, and I know, you know, Barry Melrose isn't a hockey guy. Let's just be real. He's not, he's not a college hockey guy. Um, not a hockey, he's not a college hockey guy, but, um, and John Bucciagrass, he's a hockey East guy. That's fine. Um, and I'm not here to blast them or anything, but I think when you take that crew that was on there, plus the crew in the studio who are predominantly hockey East guys, I think the thing that really made this bite even more is that St. Cloud, especially through the tournament flew so under the radar of so many people, right? They were unranked at the beginning of the year, the NCHC playoffs. They said, Oh, I can't wait to watch St. Cloud choke in the NCHC playoffs. They're going to lose to Colorado college. You know, it was, Oh, here we go again. You know, and it was one to nothing and one to one. And why are we playing the Tigers so close, you know, and St. Cloud outscores their opponents 10 to three in the regional game, they get to Mankato and they find a way to beat arguably the third or fourth best team in the country. And unfortunately, the train just didn't get to the end of the station. And I think that's, for me, what's so difficult is that, like I said, all the quote unquote experts feel so vindicated about this because UMass won and, oh, UMass was a better team. And you listen to the intro of the show and it was <clears throat> St. Cloud didn't even deserve to be on the same ice as this UMass team, even in the pregame. And unfortunately, the result makes a lot of these experts feel, oh, well, look, St. five nothing. St. Cloud never had a chance. St. Cloud was never in this hockey game. And it's just, that's the part that just gets me the most. It's like this team on any other given night would have been right in that hockey game, if not winning that game. And um, Nick, I, I don't know if this is just me being emotional and kind of just running with whatever here, but I think that's for me is, you know, if you were looking, if you met a, a fan, a, a UMass fan or a BU or a BC fan, and they said, oh, well, clearly the NCHC couldn't handle Hockey East this year. You know, clearly St. Cloud State, I can't even believe they got to the national championship game. What would you say to an expert or a fan like that, that, you know, if they had, if they had 10 picks to make throughout the NCAA tournament and they didn't pick St. Cloud for any of the 10 picks in the games that the Huskies played, what would you say to them about this program 
uh, you know, in response to that? A few words. Um, <laughs> first of all, um, bleep you, number yes, one. Thank you. Um, but number two, um, these guys don't watch NCHC hockey. Remember, we're in flyover country. Um, we're just these guys from good old Farmville that, you know, go out, you know, behind on the, on the frozen ponds, eh? and they, they maybe do some good things. But, you know, when they get to the East Coast, these boys are, you know, up and they're the, the straddling young lads. And you get where I'm going with this anyway. So um, at, at the end of the day, I don't care what they say. I don't especially when they don't follow these teams both as closely as other people do. And I'm not trying to blast other people, but I'm not going to sit there and criticize uh, on the hockey East team, especially if I haven't watched them. Now, when I watched UMass um, against UMD, um, I was very, very impressed great with how UMass team. ended a great yeah. hockey team. And again, let's be, let's repeat this again. UMass deserved to win that game and they are every more deserving than any other program to win a national champion for the first time, right? So again, we're not taking that away from them. On the second thing, you can't say that, but also say that a team doesn't earn their way into a national championship game. You know, so it's the same way why UMD lost in the semifinals to UMass down people because of contact tracing. You just, you can't have it both ways in my opinion. So um, at the end of it, here, here's what you say. And as a player, you know this, like, there's going to be people in the media who are so-called experts. That's not us. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that, that, that tend to maybe show a little hometown bias, and, and that's fine. At the end of it, they're not the ones that are pulling up the skates. They're not the ones that are in, you know, the pre-games. Or they're not the ones drawing up the X's and O's. They're not the ones that are practicing hours a day and then having to go to class, and they got full schedules. You know, it's, it's the kids on both rosters that make these happen, right? So uh, they can say where the hell they want, in my opinion. It's, you know, what team shows up in any given night. And again, we said it before, and I think after this, uh, no, I think we can, we can put this kind of, you know, to bed a little bit because I think we kind of beat the dead horse enough. But both teams earned their right to be there last night. And I said this last night too, you know, kind of towards the tail end of the third, and that is St. Close State just picked – not the greatest night to have their worst night of the season, honestly. Yeah. It just, and that's really what it was. A um, couple of bad bounces. Uh, UMass gets a couple of good breaks. And, uh, you know, on paper, were they probably the better team statistically? Sure. But you still got to go out and win the hockey game, right? And uh, they did. You know, the mistakes the Huskies made, they capitalized. Um, for the Huskies on special teams, and when they had a couple opportunities, um, didn't quite, unfortunately, get, you know, get the looks they were, they were hoping for. But it isn't the one all be all, right? And yeah, you feel for some of the seniors and maybe there's underclassmen too that might be getting a phone call. You never know. You know, you have to mention that, but it's over and done with. And UMass earned that championship and, and St. Cloud earned that right to battle for them there. And again, the, the five nothing doesn't tell the whole story. And, and it, it never really does. And for folks who watch that game, um, it, it, you know, it should. Because, you know, again, after three nothing, yeah as a coach in the last game of the season, you're going to start to take some risks. You're going to start to activate your D. Um, it's not a great formula for success because you know that by being that aggressive, you're going to probably end up giving up some chances the other way uh, with this one bounce or one breakout off the glass. Um, but don't sit here and tell me that St. Cloud wasn't supposed to be there. Don't, because I will be happy to debate you on that topic, especially coming out of the best conference in college hockey to me up and down the NCHC, which to me in itself prepares any team out of that league to go deep into the postseason, which is how much 
playoff hockey they play from essentially the start of the conference schedule. So for everybody that's out there in Hockey East, um, welcome. I'll, I'll take you on on that, on that anytime. Yeah. But um, <laughs> at, to end it, great season for the Huskies. Huskies fans and the players have nothing to hang their heads about. They accomplish things that they, nobody else has ever done. And now it's how do we climb that last step and get to the top of the mountain? Yep. Last time I last time I checked, uh, there was only one league that had two teams in the Frozen Four, um, and that was the that was the NJQHL in the Norpac Tier Three. Um, so <laughs> that's the best league in college basketball. So uh, we're actually going to move into the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. I do want to mention to fans, uh, we're going to go through the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, and then we're going to spend just five minutes on a quick little topic here related to Minnesota hockey, and that is uh, both uh, the Hobie Baker Award and uh, the Richter Award. We're going to spend some time on that, of course, because it involves teams that are close in our neck of the woods. So without further ado, the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Speaking of the Hobie Baker, Cole Caulfield did indeed take home the Hobie Baker Award for this year. Um, he also scored his first professional goal with Laval, which is the minor league affiliate of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Minnesota goaltender Jack LaFontaine is the recipient of the Mike Richter Award, who edged out Dryden McKay of Mankato for that award as the best netminder in the NCAA. Uh, in college signings, the Wild did ink Matt Bowley to his first entry-level deal with Boston College and actually paired both a goal and assist in his pro debut here with the Iowa Wild. Yeah, gotta love it. Moving uh, into up north here, the city of Humboldt, Saskatchewan, has announced plans to open a $25 million tribute center to permanently commemorate the 16 lives lost and 13 injured in a fatal bus crash back in 2018. The building will feature a gallery honoring the victims of the crash, as well as an arena and a fitness and physiotherapy area. The city said construction will not begin for at least a couple of years, according to the Canadian press. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres got a record, but not one that uh, they're going to be proud of, you know, as they matched the NHL record with 18 straight losses, essentially, um, which would tie the 2003 Pittsburgh Penguins after they blew a three-goal third period uh, lead, and which, um, unfortunately, they did snap that the following game against the Philadelphia Flyers, who uh, it's kind of an interesting team to know, but we're not going to get too much into it. But, uh, yeah, if there's one team that uh, – isn't looking so high as we're in the states of the Philadelphia Flyers, but Buffalo finally able to get a win or the belt at the expense of the Flyers. Well, that's just how good the hockey East is, right, Nick? Anyway, <laughs> Toronto, speaking of sticking out east up north again, wow, that's a lot of directions there, Nick. That would be northeast for those who are keeping track there. Toronto goalie Jack Campbell set a new NHL record with his 11th consecutive win of the season over Ottawa last night, which was previously 10 straight wins to start a season by Montreal's Carey Price in 2016-17. Campbell is 11-0. Out west, Patrick Marleau did pass Mark Messier for second most games played in NHL history with 1,757. Uh, just two weeks ago and he's currently five games away from breaking Gordy Howe's record at all time of 1,767 career games played 
And uh, second to last year, Noah, a couple of NHL transactions. Uh, Vancouver did extend the Thatcher Demko, five years, $5 million. Uh, they also inked for Tanner Pearson to three years, $3.25 million, I believe. It was $9.75 million, I believe, that was on the docket there. Yep. Uh, big trade um, also in NHL news. Kyle Pomeri and a former North Dakota fighting hawk, Travis Zajac, heading to the Islanders for a first-round pick, two prospects, and a fourth-round selection. Lucas Walmart and a prospect went to Florida for Brett Connolly, Riley Stillman, and a seventh-round pick. And former Denver University standout Henrik Borkstrom. Uh, Riley Nash was dealt from Columbus to Toronto, and former Minnesota Wild netminer Devin Dubnik was flipped for a former Minnesota Wild defenseman and Greg Patteron to the Colorado Avalanche, both those guys switching spots. And lastly, Nick, uh, in a quick little injury tidbit here, Columbus's Boone Jenner will miss a year, or miss the year, not a year, the year, with a broken finger. Montreal's Brendan Gallagher is in a similar boat on long-term injured reserve for six weeks with a fractured thumb. And Winnipeg's Blake Wheeler is out for at least a week with a concussion. to kind of finish off the show here nick uh we want to talk about the first story that was in the huskies illustrated weekly roundup first the hobie baker award winner going um to cole caulfield i don't think there's any surprise there i don't i don't have anybody that was on that list but um, <clears throat> that would have edged him out but speaking of the hobie baker you did have a top three finalist in dryden mckay who somehow was edged out by the university of minnesota's jack lafontaine um i think it surprised a lot of people in the hockey world myself included um, so to start off, I, I just want to say very quickly, uh, not taking any way from not taking any not taking anything away, if I can say it <laughs> clearly from Jack LaFontaine, uh, he's one heck of a goaltender. Don't get me wrong. He, he had a very good season for Minnesota. Um, I think he faltered a little bit in the postseason, but I thought, you know, the two, if you would have maybe given the award at the end of the regular season, I think Jack LaFontaine had a little bit, you know, more of a case than he had when they did the voting. I still think Dryden McKay was the better goaltender, but I thought, you know, at that particular point, Jack LaFontaine was more in the mix at that point than actually when the voting happened. Um, and I don't know if they took that into consideration and kind of maybe said like, oh, if you have a guy like Zach Driscoll who doesn't make it to the Frozen Four, he, you know, this and that versus Dryden McKay, I don't know. So, um, but let's be honest, Nick, uh, is Dryden McKay the recipient of that award after posting back-to-back -back seasons with 10 shutouts in a season? And is that close to breaking Ryan Miller's all-time collegiate shutout streak? How is he not? Yeah. I think it's the better question. And again, it does not take away the wonderful season Jack LaFontaine had at Minnesota. There, it's not diminishing what he's doing. It's more of, you know, but the problem is with that award, right? It's every year. So you can't go back two years and say, oh, we had back-to-back -back shutout uh, 10 plus in a season. Um, from some of the comments I was reading, and that is, some of the voting, and I'm not sure if this is coming from the people who voted, it sounded like strength of schedule mm. was uh, kind of a determining factor for some of the people that voted. Um, I want to know what uh, what they were drinking when you know they saw this. It, well, because here's here's the thing, right? And yeah, I think it's hard, right? I think both those goaltenders played really, really well, right? So what is the difference maker? I mean, it seems like the voting committee went to what were those opponents like that they each played, right? Because it's one thing to have 10 shutouts in the season if you're playing MLL, Alabama Huntsville five or six times, right? That's one thing. I think that's a fair assessment. Yep. Um, not, not taking away from them, just in terms of recent success, right? Yep. Um, on the second part is how much different really is the Big Ten and the WCHA? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, and at the end of it, uh, it and the, these, are the, these, are, these are the awards 
where there's so much subjectivity. And I think what makes this so weird is how is Dryden McKay a hat trick finalist? So he's supposedly one of the best three college hockey players just in general, not just by his position. So if that's the case, does that automatically mean he should be the Mike Richter award? Not necessarily, but I think there's a lot of people reading into that. Um, and at the end of the day, yeah, to me, it, it, on paper, it really doesn't make sense. Um, I'm with you. I think Robin McKay should have gotten the award. Um, but again, congrats to Jacqueline Fontaine. Yeah. Still had a fantastic season. But I, I can see where there's some mixed messaging that's being sent uh, when you present three of the so-called best college hockey players and then one of those three is up for a, a position-based award. It doesn't receive that. That's that's kind of weird uh, in terms of just the communication of that, I suppose you could say. I think that's why people are still kind of off about it, in my opinion. Yeah, Jack LaFontaine, uh, in his senior year, actually coming back for a fifth year from all the reports that I've seen uh, for the University of Minnesota. Of course, uh, um, Jared Moe going to Wisconsin, I believe, is the backup netminder uh, at Minnesota there. Uh, and I wonder given Dryden McKay's recent success, I wonder if the committee was saying, you know, and I don't want to speculate here too much, but maybe thinking maybe Jack LaFontaine doesn't have the repeat success he had this year and Dryden McKay with his consistency does and is the winner next year in that, you know, based on his body of performance there. Granted, yes, it's a season by season award. You're not supposed to take those things into account, but I would have a hard time believing if Dryden McKay falls off a cliff next year. Also talking about that Mankato group, number one, congratulations to their program for getting, you know, their first two, uh, NCAA tournament wins in school history and almost getting their third. I, and if you want to talk about a team, you know, comparative to a team like North Dakota, who is pretty much being gutted from the inside out right now, um, that Mankato team has a legitimate chance to win a national championship next year. They, they are not going to lose much. They're a veteran experienced, hard, heavy team with a very good goaltender. I uh, boy, they're going to be a really deadly group next year. Uh, and it's, you know, the first time that all five Minnesota teams, you know, make the NCAA tournament and you just talk about, you know, I had Nick, I think you're going to love this. I had someone in the great state of North Dakota, you know, a big hockey state. Um, tell me last year, um, he actually runs a podcast. He said, North Dakota is more of the state of hockey than Minnesota is. So um, immediately I sat up. <laughs> in my seat your face yeah you might need a little bit of jack daniels in that um that caribou there nick um mm. so i was curious and i said enlighten me on your on your wonderful um north dakota thinking that you have here um and he said his point was well if you go to grand forks their building is sold out every night and everybody wants to play for north dakota and the buildings in Minnesota aren't sold out, which to be fair, I would say besides maybe Duluth, uh, even the Herbrooks National Hockey Center is not filled every night. Uh, let's, that's, that's a, in its own segment, that is a fair assessment. That is a fair statement. However, when you have almost 100 you know, high school programs that are churning out collegiate and NHL prospects left and right, five division one college hockey programs. I, you know, what more can you say about the state of Minnesota? I just wanted to bring that up because I, I was just so flabbergasted that he was like, oh, well, North Dakota, everybody wants to play for North Dakota. The reason people want to play for North Dakota, one, their program's good. Let's be real. They're a good hockey team. Two, they have 
a $104 million facility that was $104 million in 2000 plus, a, you know, millions of dollars in a new locker room renovation. So that's part of the reason. Um, Nick, what, <laughs> my point is this, what makes Minnesota and the state of hockey so successful right now at the collegiate game? And do we see all five teams and maybe even the sixth team in St. Thomas contend for an NCAA tournament berth next year? Yes. Um, number one, they're getting Rico Blase. Um, we all know that he knows this area. I mean, he was in the NCHC, he was in WCHA. He knows how to recruit. Um, and by the way, he already got a one hell of a recruit already in, in terms of a goaltender. Um, so, yeah, yeah uh, first of all, it goes back even before college. It's the high school programs, honestly. The development structure in Minnesota is bar none. If I recall, there were 44 Minnesota-born players that played in the Frozen Four. I don't know what the stat with North Dakota was, but I think the next state down was in the single digits, honestly. Um, was, so there, at, was there even a player from North Dakota? I don't think there was. I don't even know if there was. I um, doubt it, yeah. So so his definition of state of hockey is I can't feel a building. Yeah, but horrible. on the second part is, okay, but to I'm going to counter his point, and I hope he watches this because now he's triggered me. Um, what I else? Tell. Right. What else does North Dakota have to compete for entertainment value besides going to a North Dakota? Okay. I'll wait. I'll be right right here. I Here's got, the thing. I, I got one team and that's the NDSU Bison football team. That's it. But let's even go beyond that. Right. So if you're in the twin cities and granted St. Cloud is a, a pretty short 45 minute drive, like on most, that's not terrible. Right. Um, people from North Dakota, from what I gather, I mean, they, they were else there in freaking Pittsburgh. They made the drive, and I'm like, dude, the golf course is back that way, 1,400 yeah. miles. You missed your turn. Yeah, um, and, and 45 uh, minutes is, is the closest closest town between two towns in North Dakota, by the way. Right. <laughs> so, but, but my point is, is that, you know, it, in terms of entertainment, you know, if I've got dispendable income, I can go to Top Golf. I can go to the Gophers if I want to. Yeah, I can make a weekend trip and go do a Duluth game. There's different things that are competing for that money, right? And what does North Dakota have besides Cows. a hockey program? And I'll even throw him this. Tell me where North Dakota hockey is without Ralph Engelstad. Honestly, uh, because there, a big draw to them is the a is big draw to them is the facility. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Seriously, with the money that that guy invests in that program and with that facility, granted, that is a world class facility. And granted, it sells itself, right? And it helps that yes, you have you know a a two time winner. Hasn't Brad Berry won the Coach of the Year twice? Yeah. I think he has, hasn't he? Well, the, yes, the, so. the other thing you got to realize too, is this, I, have you ever heard the story of Ralph Ingolstead, which congratulations to him, you know, for helping out the program. Uh, he's kind of a racist dude, man. Like, I mean, it's, I mean, you look at some of the, some of the things that are a part of that and stuff and like, not, well, not that we're, not that we're trying to open up this, but it's like, you know, everyone is like, Oh, look at Ralph Ingolstead, you know, creating this great facility. It's like, there's pieces of that facility, especially with the name change that were put into the marble flooring and into portions of the building for that specific reason. Granted, obviously I'm expecting he didn't anticipate the name to change, but it's like, you know, are you really saying that North Dakota is more the state of hockey than Minnesota when it's like none of the mascots are offensive? Like I <laughs> No, well, well and then what well, back to principle, right? It, yes. It's <laughs> definition of North Dakota state of hockey is because I can fill an eleven thousand seat arena. Yeah, that's pretty weak in my opinion. It's like, you know, to me, it's what is the development process? What kind of talent is the state turning out? Uh, 
last I checked, Minnesota was in that lead for the last three or four or five decades. So come at me, bro. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. <laughs> um, but like, like we were kind of mentioning here, this, this Mankato group, I think, uh, you know, depending on who St. Cloud state brings back, I think St. Cloud is in that mix too. Mankato, St. Cloud, um, and Duluth, I think are the three teams that you're looking at right now that are, um, Both you know, all, back although, to. although, although Duluth is set to lose a fair number of seniors, so they could be kind of an interesting spot. The transfer portal is going to be really interesting, especially for a team like St. Thomas, uh, Minnesota right now is when I look at them, they're kind of just that they lost Brandon McManus to Omaha. Good pickup for the Mavericks there. Um, they're in kind of a weird ebb and flow state as well as kind of just where they are. They don't strike me as a team that, uh, they're getting a whole they're getting a whole, whole bunch of really good recruits coming including the Luke and the, the Middlestat twins too which are coming on board uh, one next year and the other one afterwards again Luke and she's a Jake Middlestat I believe so yeah the, um, the problem the problem with Minnesota is that they just all they always have so much turnover they're just they talk about the young talent that they're trying to develop and they only hang on to them for one or two years and it's just so difficult I think for them to kind of like you know if you can have guys stay for an extra year I think it just makes a huge difference for that program but North Dakota is the same way. I mean, but their players are gutted because they sign NHL contracts, right? right? So, you know, it. and again, you sign up when you're a college entity, you know that the max you get out of a player is five years, right? So you know that the turnover is going to be there. Um, I think a lot of people were surprised when Blake Lazat was picked off by the LA Kings. I thought a lot of people did not have him leaving early. Um, I personally thought that, you know, he was going to be there at least one more year because to me, I saw he had the talent there. I even surprised me a bit. Um, that he was even offered, you know, a contract that early. Um, not the fact that he didn't earn it, but more the fact that, you know, LA was looking at him that closely, um, which I should know better because LA seems to have a scout in the building every single day. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if they have a scout at practice, honestly. It, um, it certainly hurts. I think uh, Bemidji to lose Zach Driscoll though. That's, that's a tough loss for them, but they're, they're a program tough. that um, I really like their style of play. They actually, um, they're, they're kind of the poor man's version, I think, at UMass a little bit, where their defensive structure is really strong. Um, you know, I think they just need a little bit more of that offensive push. They need a couple of those guys to really step up on that end as well. But, um, Nick, I don't really know where we're going with this. Do you have anything else that you want to add as far as the collegiate hockey world? Um, anything? I think we'd be remiss uh, if we do say, um, before we, you know, join Dave Starman and then take a week off here, I uh, from our personal side, and you and I were talking about this on Friday when you were sitting in your hotel in Pittsburgh, again 15 months what an amazing ride that we have had from covering a team that was kind of a middle of the pack group last year to being where we at we are at uh, and we couldn't do it especially in the beginning stages last summer without the amazing support of some of these fans that have been able to stick with us and you know give us this opportunity to talk about huskies hockey nick i kind of wanted to kick it to you i mean is at the end of the season when you sit back and reflect is there something for our show specifically that you would want to say to the fans and people who have been with us since the train left the station or who have jumped on at the various stopping points here? Uh, not really changes for me, but other than just thank you. Like, yeah. honestly, um, especially with the interaction with a lot of our fans. Um, mm-hmm. I think that to me is where I get most of my enjoyment is, you know, the one thing about the hockey community that I think all of us appreciate, especially those who've been around it, have, have been in it is it's such a tight knit group. And not only that, because it's a lot of it's hockey, but also it's like, Hey man, how are you doing? You know, it's, it's more than that. It becomes like this kind of second family. 
Um, would and, you would you feel comfortable, uh, Nick? Uh, maybe kind of give them a shout out for listening to our show. Did you happen to meet someone uh, in particular at, in Pittsburgh <laughs> that uh, was kind of a fun little story? Do you feel comfortable telling that on the show? Yeah, um, I believe is so. I'll just use the Twitter handle, right? Um, so power trip quotes. I literally walked out of the press elevator. It was in between the St. Cloud game and the, uh, the UMass Duluth game. And I was really just trying to get some swag, right? I picked up this <laughs> and I don't find myself to be the guy that you pick out of a, pick out of a group. That's You're like, pretty good oh, looking. Yeah, that guy. Ah. <laughs> Depends on the broken mirror status, but um, you know, walked kind of into him, the, the, him and I, someone else who he's with where we're in jerseys. And I was like, good win. Hey boys. Like, Oh, Hey, listen to your podcast and uh, what's to say this uh, Husky hockey fans, this person works for KFAN. Um, so it's not just KFAN quotes and some guy like copy and pasting. No, and apparently this guy listens to us on a regular basis. And uh, I think more, more importantly, uh, I think the biggest compliment he, he gave us was, you know, when he was at school and going through the process, he's like, you know, I've always kind of wanted, you know, I don't know if a podcast was in his mind at that point, but, you know, just some type of program that really gave the passion about this program. And he's like, that's what you guys are doing. It's, it's, it's awesome. Listen. Um, and I think that's the biggest compliment is when you have people who, you know, really do enjoy the conversations, whether it's really good days or unfortunately today's it's, you know, not the best of days, but, you know, we, we put it together, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, Thank you to all the fans. Uh, Caleb Peabody, dude. <laughs> he always always make me laugh. So love that guy. Um, but everybody else too. Uh, it's it's been a, it's been a blast of a season. Um, you know, couldn't have asked for more. You know, opportunity to cover a national championship game. You, you just never know when these opportunities come come around again. And uh, again, a big part of that is just you know the fans that listen to us and uh, you guys make it very very special for us to do it. Yeah, I I think uh, at some point here, um, mostly because I want to see I want to see if the the voice and the face matches the the energy. I want we got to have Caleb on I think at some point during the summer here for at least ten minutes and just kind of just kind of see <laughs> see see kind of how he is relative to his Twitter status I should say. But yes, like you mentioned, um, you know we're not here without our fans, and I know this is kind of an interesting time for a fan pump up segment here, but it it really is true because. Nick, I think you and I can attest to this a little bit. Uh, we've had some moments uh, where we've, I don't want to say we've thought about not doing the show, but where, where we've said, we're a little bit tired right now. Boy, this is really tough to talk about this. Gosh, I don't really want to talk about this. You know, but it's kind of part of what we do and part of the package. Like you mentioned about good and bad days. And there are some days where fans get a little ornery and it's kind of like, ah, guys, like calm down a little bit. But then there are other days where it's like the fan interaction and how people kind of gravitate to what we do or kind of try to be a part of what we do, or, you know, just a little compliment. Hey, we love your show. Or you guys did such a nice job. Derek Felska this morning, kind of giving us our props as long as the rink live with Mick Hatton, little things like that. And I know, I don't know if it sounds narcissistic or anything, but it is fuel for the fire. It, it makes us feel somewhat validated that we are making a difference, you know, in your Monday morning car drive to work or giving you a little bit of Huskies hockey content that, you know, helps you get through your week and that sort of thing. If we can be, again, if we can be a small sliver of the piece of covering Huskies hockey to provide a small sliver into your day of finding Huskies hockey coverage, that's what we hope to do. And we're so excited, uh, so excited for, to start uh, some new things in the train rolling here. Um, one last thing to mention before we get out of here, Nick, 
two-line fan trivia. Caleb Peabody actually won his first hat in two-line trivia. The question was about the national championship game. I'm not going to read it because it makes me sad. Um, but season one of trivia is done. Brody Falconer was our winner for season one of trivia. Um, I also forgot, and we'll have to touch on this, I think, uh, probably in the next show, I did not look to see who was the closest for goal total for the Frozen Four. So I'll definitely have to get on that as well. Um, but I wanted to mention there will be no trivia next week and the week after. So for two weeks, we will not have trivia. We might change the format a little bit for season two of trivia as well to maybe kind of uh, decrease the eligibility restrictions where if you win, you can't win the next week. Uh, the only reason for that was actually because um, Brody Falconer was winning so much when we first started the thing. So that was kind of why we put that in there to give other people a chance. And uh, now I think we might kind of open up those eligibility rules to see who can really take that leaderboard and really get those questions intact. So Tinner Heath, I know you said you, you said you turned your alarms off for the year, but uh, get them fired up in about three weeks here, baby, because season two of trivia <laughs> is coming. That will do it for episode number 57 of the Huskies Warming House podcast for nick maxson i'm noah grant and we will see you next week we will not see you next week that's a lie nick i almost had that outro i almost had it we will see you in you two almost weeks. had it almost had it two weeks for episode number 58 one timer coming they score She scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.